Hello and welcome to One and Done TV. I'm one of your hosts, Ian Hamilton. And I'm the other one of your hosts, John Polking. And this is the podcast where we review TV shows that only lasted one season. That's right, they lasted one season or fewer or less, however you want to say it. Uh, They were canceled. They were thrown into a dumpster. They were lit on fire. They were cast aside. John, did I miss anything? No, you did not. Uh, But now we are here to dance on their stupid little graves. uh, And we're going to talk a little bit about what they did, what they left behind, and ultimately what made them one and done. Today we watched MTV's 2013 Zack Stone is going to be famous, starring and co-created by your fave, Bo Burnham! Bo Burnham. Really quick, we'll talk about just some other stuff we've watched. Have you watched anything recently that uh, is not one and done? Oh my God. Okay. So really quick, I just watched X, rewatched Ex Machina. Oh my God. Are you posting I the dancing scene? Love that Instagram movie. Story. I'll watch the dance. I've like... I only saw Ex Machina when it came out, and it's just such a vibe movie. It's so pretty. Uh, The the suspense is one of those slow burn things where you keep being like, what is going on? I don't even know why this is tense, other than the music is telling me it should be tense. And I'm so captivated. Like They do a pretty classic AI story really well. And actually, we did a Domino Gleason twofer. Donal. We watched Dono. Dono. Yeah, you pronounce it Dono. Yeah. You know what? I think I did know that at one point and had forgotten. Anyway, uh, we did a two for because the other night me and Natalie watched About Time oh, with uh, Rachel McAdams and him. And let me you tell know you how I feel about time. About time. About about time. No, I don't. When I watched it, Dude, I cried like crazy. It's my fa- it's my favorite romantic comedy. It is. Yeah. Wow. I'm getting an About Time tattoo. Have I not told are, you this? Are you really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Th- wow. This is uh this is a treasure right now. Tell me about <laughs> yeah. this tattoo. I uh I'm gonna get so there's the phrase when um right after they get married and uh she kind of like shakes his leg at the end of their wedding and she goes, So it begins. Lots and lots of types of days. And so I'm gonna get lots and lots of types of days tattooed on my arm. I hadn't seen it since the first time I watched it. It was my, I only knew about it because it was my old roommate's favorite movie and he cried a bunch and I cried a bunch. And then I showed it to Natalie the other night and she cried a bunch. Uh, It is such a good, sweet, funny movie though. And Mm -hmm. uh, I guess my point was that I could watch the dance sequence in Ex Machina over and over and over again. I love that scene. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. On the other side of the spectrum, I just finished and just like that today oh why because i could oh you are you and elise watching it together we watched it together we're also simultaneously i'm watching sex in the city for the first time that's right that's right how's that going for you it is a journey and i am living it fully some of it is legitimately very good and then Mm -hmm. some of it is cuckoo banana pants uh and i Enjoy both sides of it full wholeheartedly. What is Cuckoo Banana Pants from again? Uh, it's a play on Crazy Town Banana Pants, which is from Community. Oh, I thought that was Thirty Rock. No, 
Getting my NBC Thursday night mid-2000 lineups confused. No, that's a John Hodgman quote from Community. Well, it's a good one. It is a good one. I quote it quite frequently. I've only seen the first four episodes of Sex and the City, and I kind of liked it, but I've been told that the first four episodes are very different than the rest of the show. It's very much it's very much of the MTV generation, and then it becomes its own thing. Oh, that's nice. So as I've talked about on this show before, I was a PA in New York for four years on various commercials and TV shows and movies and Most of them didn't pay very well, but I did take advantage of the time to learn as much as I could about filmmaking. And I worked as a set dresser. I worked as a props person. I drove trucks. I, you know, stood in for things. Um, And I worked on, actually, I was very lucky to work on a handful of comedy specials. One of which was the Gerard Carmichael HBO special eight, which was directed by Bo Burnham. And this was early enough in my PA days where I was still in the phase where I wanted to learn things and I actively sought new information and was not the uh, jaded, underpaid, uh, schlubby PA that I eventually became that everyone hated talking to and I hated talking to them. So it was fine. Um, anyway, so the first day I was working on this special was the setup day. It was filmed at the Mason hall in New York, uh, which was pretty cool. It was a theater in the round and Bo Burnham was setting up all the cameras with the camera crew. And it was a slow enough day where, I just kind of was able to follow him and the camera crew around and just sit and try to eavesdrop and look at the way that they were framing everything and pick up on whatever I could. And at the end of the day, I was lucky enough that he was looking at the monitors just as I was wrapping up. And it was, I don't know, nine screens with all of the angles on them. And it was just me and him down there. And maybe it's the fact that we're very uh, close in age. You know, I think he's maybe a year older than us, a grade older than us, that I didn't feel intimidated to go up to him and introduce myself. And uh, I was just like, hey, Bo, I want to ask you why you set up the cameras this way, like what your thought process is, if you don't mind. And uh, he introduced himself. He has a very weak handshake, unfortunately. I've uh, gotten that back from other people. But you know what, Bo? You do so many things well that you don't need a firm grip. You got everything else going for you. Um, So he was nice enough to just be like, you know, comedy specials that are done in the round. Like Louis had a big arena show at the time that he referenced that he was like, there are a million different angles from all the balconies and it's very busy and there's a lot of snap zooms and a lot of fast moving cuts and it's just too much. He just wanted to make it simple, three angles, all from below for the most part, uh, which one camera, there were two cameras from three uh, from each angle. One was a wide shot and the other was a close-up shot. And then they had a seventh camera that was floating, going around to different spots. 
And um, he just wanted to keep it simple. And he was very nice. And he gave me the time of day, which is more than most uh, famous people I've worked with can say. Um, so that is my first Bo, Bur- Bo Burnham story. Stick around till the end of the show to hear a much juicier one. And you know what time it is, Ian. It's showtime. Five, four, three, two, one, showtime. Today we are talking about the 2013 MTV show. Zach Stone is going to be gonna be famous. Wow. Yeah, I, I almost made gonna it a be lot famous. Of, I was I almost made it very formal. I actually when I was writing it down, I, I was really on top of gonna, gonna, gonna and not correcting it. Is it the same number of letters going and gonna? Going to be. Gonna be famous. Yeah. Going to. Gonna. Well, there's a space in there, so. That is longer. Yeah. Um, so. Saves you like three spaces. Yeah. I should be more efficient with my words and with my synopsis of the show, which is, uh, so it stars and is co-created by Bo Burnham uh, following a kid uh, who has recently graduated from high school who spends the summer after he has graduated, he has sunk all of his money into buying a reality film crew to follow him around all summer on his pre-fame journey. He is doing everything that he can to try to make it big. even His though ascent he, to stardom is being documented. Even though he has no discernible talents, but he's going to try every talent that uh, he can possibly think of in order to get that, get that fame bug. And the show was also co-created by Dan, I'm going to say Lagana. That's what I would have done. Pre- he, uh, the only thing before this really was he previously produced and wrote on an MTV cartoon called Good Vibes, which was also one and done. Uh, but it was created by Do- David Gordon Green of Danny McBride fame. Uh, <laughs> he, he always works with Danny McBride. Yeah. Uh, Eastbound and Down. Uh, he directed the Halloween 2018 and the lesser Halloween sequel that came out in 2021. Uh, kind of a letdown. Did you see that? I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good kills. Anyway. Oh, Halloween does kill. Yeah, I Halloween agree. does kill. Actually, anytime someone died in that movie, we were like, they forgot Halloween kills. <laughs> they should have read the title. That's right. Um, and what was going on in MTV in 2013 that they put on a show like this, John? It was that really, they would invest in Bo Burnham. What it was a really interesting time. So they had a couple hits uh, for scripted shows. Uh, they were like two years into Teen Wolf, uh, which ran for like six years. They were two seasons into Awkward, which also ran for like five seasons, I think. But it was a real like identity crisis time, I think, where... You know, this, it was the post, you know, reality, like post Jersey Shore, uh, pre-ridiculousness time for MTV. Ridiculousness, you might know as the show that is always on MTV when you go to a hotel. And they, I think, I think MTV's programming schedule is conservatively 18 hours of ridiculousness. <laughs> in a 24-hour period. But they were really like trying to find that next big thing. They were they invested in uh remakes of the British shows The Inbetweeners, 
and right. Skins. Neither one of those worked out. There was just I a, mean, even Teen Wolf was a reboot. Yeah, it was, but it was it was gritty and dark and silly. Right. But it was a known entity. So that that makes sense why it would last a little bit longer. And what I think of in 2013 um, is the reality you know, show the, Buck Wild that we also watched a bunch of years ago. Oh boy. Well, one and done that at some that point. Was, that was that was two. It is Buck Wild. Really? Yeah. That was the same wow. exact year. Yeah. A lot of one and done's going the on. The show that, year. that uh, MTV had to cancel because one of the guys died in a mudding accident. He he was mudding too hard. R.I.P. Mm-hmm. Um and uh I think of this time in TV in general, it's post two thousand eight after the recession. You know, there was uh, the TV business in general was put in flux. So, you know, a lot of uh, syndicators, advertisers were kind of fleeing. The business model was changing. And 2013, I think of as the very early days of cord cutting. So it was like and it's e- post even- Netflix. Well, it's like so Netflix had already been a thing, but it was like pre House of Cards, too, I think. Right. Uh, yeah, or maybe maybe right around this time. But at, at this point, also, a lot of shows were starting to, uh, like The Tonight Show or whatever, were starting to create clips so that they would go viral online so they can get that secondary income. So to me, it makes sense that MTV would poach this YouTube star to take to make his own show because they're trying to get the young audience People already think he's funny. He already has this following. And they probably think they'll get more viral moments out of it. Yeah. But what they got was a comedy that I'm going to make the case throughout this episode as one of the most heart-wrenching dramas I've ever seen on TV. Oh, my goodness. Okay. I found uh, I found this, this show to be devastating, but I, I won't... Uh, I'll, we'll talk about that later. It's it's yeah, a comedy. Let's get to the uh, characters really quick. So uh, really stars... quick too. It's also on uh-huh. Netflix. I want to say that too. That's one of the mm-hmm. main reasons that we're talking about it now. It was last time that we won and done it. We had to watch it on MTV.com. Remember? Yeah, we probably watched the same Old Spice ads over and over again as we tried to watch <laughs> the first few episodes. And now I'll get to it later. Um, but. That's the what what it is. <laughs> okay. What it is, John. What it is. Tell me what it is. What it is is a show about a kid trying to get famous. Who is in it, though, Ian? Well, we've got, obviously, Bo Burnham as the star. Second build is Biff from Back to the Future. He will henceforth be only referred to as Biff. Apparently, know- he has a name. It's, it's Tom not a Wilson, name. Yeah. but... We I, just call him Biff. I talked obviously. over you on purpose just so that our listeners didn't have to hear his name. When we edit this, you're going to mute yourself saying his real so name. So that his right? his Christian name is muddled. Yeah. No, we yeah. we only we have one religion here and it's Marty McFly. Right. We only know him as Biff and the uh gym teacher from Freaks and Geeks. Other than that, I can't think of anything. No. But again, he's probably one of those guys that has had like 600 IMDb credits over a 30-year career. Probably. And uh, I assume that the wife, the the wife slash mother, uh, Mrs. Mrs. Stone, Stone is uh, probably a journey woman actress who made her way to finally getting a uh, supporting 
role in a TV show. <laughs> I haven't looked it up. Is that how you feel about her? I think that I haven't looked her up either, but I thought she fit the the role very nicely. And the parent dynamics in this show, I think, are particularly compelling because neither one of them believes that Zach Stone is gonna be famous, nor do they think he's going to be famous. But they kind of express it in different ways. You know, Mrs. Stone is like, oh, it's it's a short phase. So let's indulge him for a little bit. But, you know, he's he'll be he'll get on his feet eventually. And Mr. Stone is very much like there's no way in heck any of this is happening. Why are you wasting our time? Like there is such a deep disappointment from him, I think, whereas because he sees, I think, the the ambition that Zach has through all of his endeavors, whereas Mrs. Stone sees it as is a little bit more flippant about it because she doesn't see it as more permanent. Yeah, she just wants to support Zach and uh, not put him down. And I kind of get the sense that she thinks it's just this thing that he'll get over once it's done, get it out of his system, and then come to his senses or something. You know, she's like, this is a phase. They don't say it. It's just the sense that I get from her that she thinks it's a phase. And if she just supports it enough that he doesn't hate her, but also doesn't support it enough that it phases out, that that's like the happy medium emotionally she's come to. Mm-hmm. And um, we've uh, also got his brother. Andy. Right. Who is just a, he's a brother and he plays baseball and he's much, very much a foil for Zach to sort of make fun of. And he makes fun of him and they wrestle a little bit. They razz. They like to razz. They like to, you know, poke each other's nipples every now and then. I actually, I'm impressed with the casting because they have very similar eyebrows. I get that. They do have similar shapes. Right? Mm-hmm. The younger brother is like a more athletic, shorter version of, of him. I thought it was really good. They were molded in from the, the same ball of clay. Molded by it. <laughs> is that your sting? Is that your sting for our molding uh, discussions? I mean, it was a bad, half-assed Bane impression. You oh. Oh. Do you think I was the singer sting? Uh, I mean, I'm constantly. Singer, songwriter, guitar player. Musician. I do call you Roxanne in my dreams. Moving on. We've got uh, the best friend, Greg, Greg, who is played by Armin Weitzman. And he looked familiar to me, but I do you know what? assume I know the one thing that Greg. I know him from. What do you know him from, John? And now I'm realizing it's not who I thought it was. <laughs> I, I was so ready to say he's uh, he was moist in uh, Dr. Horrible's uh, sing-along blog, but that's not it. Oh, you are so wrong. I know. That's Simon Helberg, I think. Oh, no. Wow. He was actually in a lot of stuff before this. He was in Sarah Silverman program for a handful of episodes, some Children's Hospital, Children's Hospital. um, Burning Love. That's what I know. Backroom, whatever that is. Yeah. Well, that's the same as the Children's Hospital people, so it would make sense Mm -hmm. that he would uh, have some overlap there and then he went right into this and uh greg is zach's best friend high school lifer uh 
and he's going off to college. Uh, Zach, we have said he is not going off to college. Um, mm-hmm. That is, he has devoted his entire life to being famous, has sunk every bit of money that he saved at the grocery store to for this film crew. Uh, but Greg's going and is uh, generally supportive of Zach's endeavors, but still is very much the, you know, player two to Zach's uh, very ambitious player one. I, I get the uh, sense that he doesn't really have that much going on otherwise, so he doesn't have many reasons to say no to Zach when he comes to him with some crazy idea. Mm-hmm. I get that as well. And then uh, to round out the friend group, we got Amy, who... The girl next door. Girl next door, who... Four houses down or something, but you know. Who Zach starts the show not finding a place for her. Like, he purposefully tries to avoid filming her because he doesn't see how she plays into his narrative of rising to fame. But very, you know, very quickly it becomes obvious that she is integral to everything that he does. And I found their dynamic to be very sweet and lovely and wow. and sad. Oh. Again, I think this is the great American tragedy. Because eventually Amy, despite, well, Zach pushes her away and ignores her enough that eventually Amy meets her boyfriend, Nick, who is tall, dark, and handsome. And frankly, I would expect him to be kind of a jerk bro, but he does everything right uh, for the most part. It's one of the better decisions of the show, I think, to make him not a jerk. Right. It makes it funny that Zach hates him so much for obvious reasons because he's into Amy and he doesn't want to say it. But uh, Nick does everything he can to prove himself as a good person to Amy and to the audience. So then it makes it funny that Zach hates him so much Mm -hmm. because he really has no reason to other than just being jealous. Yeah. Um, and And of course we have the girl who mugs the camera who is, what is her name? Christy. Christy. Christy Ackerman, the hot girl from high school that, uh, the first episode Zach, what, is trying to go on a date with her? Why does he bring the cameras to her coffee shop? Because he basically propositions her and says, hey, if you go on dates with me, I'll I'll take you along my journey to fame. And she's like, okay. But, right. Yeah. And she's only in the first, you know, third of the episodes because I think the show kind of just, I mean, just like Zach does, he doesn't find as much of a use. He kind of is sick of, the, you know, the the camera mugging that uh, she comes to embody. Well, he invites her basically to use him. And then once she uses him up, he's sick of her and she's cut out of the show. But I really like the first four episodes. She spends a lot of time trying to be this sort of happy, hot MTV type girl and she mugs for the mugs the camera a lot. She tries to like set up situations for Zach to quote unquote succeed or like look cool. And of course, Zach always messes that up. So yeah. she has a very hard time uh, reconciling the fact that she's co-starring in this reality series with him when he could not 
be a bigger loser to her. Mm-hmm. And then he he cuts her off. And after episode four, she doesn't come back, which I was surprised by. And actually, I didn't like that because I thought she was very funny. And I thought she would come back eventually in some different form. And maybe if there was a season two, she would have. But uh, I was very surprised by that. Yeah, she was very funny. But I think if the, if she was in more episodes, she would have overstayed her welcome. Because I yeah, think she she would have had to evolve. For yeah. Sure. Because when you have a character in there that is like su- is purposefully sucking oxygen from the main character, it doesn't really like leave much room for the main character to grow. Uh, sure. And the thing about Zach, generally, you know, throughout the arc of the show, he so I guess episode by episode, each one of these episodes kind of follows a different path that Zach has uh uh, a different path that he tries for fame. So uh, the very first episode, it's just the fact that he has uh, paid this camera crew to follow him around. So we're just sort of getting into the world of his family, his friends and being followed around by a camera all the time and kind of, it's a thread throughout the show, but especially in the first episode, it highlights what he wants to be on camera versus what he doesn't want to be on camera and this sort of fake persona he's putting on versus the actually the actual shy kind of sad friendless ish kid that he is he deeply sad again i'm going to make the case that this is devastating this right this 21 and a half minute comedy will rip your soul into two Before you tell us about that, John, let's take a quick commercial break. And now a word from our sponsors. Hi, this is Ian, and I'm trying to do this commercial as quickly as possible. Please review and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Hive Social at TV. Email us, oneanddonepod at gmail.com with any suggestions or thoughts. If you haven't hit the skip forward 15 seconds button yet, I will be amazed. Okay, enjoy the show. So the second episode is about uh, him trying to become a singer. And he's like, oh, I can't really sing or make long music. But he goes into ringtones, which then uh, he wants to play at a heavy metal club because of Christie's connections to it. Uh which leads to, you know, a great sequence where he's standing up there and giving six second songs and uh waiting for applause after each one of them. He's, he's like, I've got twenty four I've got twenty four more of these. Yeah, he's just playing ringtone after ringtone and the punk crowd is uh not having it. I wrote down um and, and then when he's panicking, I wrote down one of his songs. <laughs> <laughs> he says, oh, man, come on, Ian. You got just this. Find the, just find the quote, Ian. Find the quote, Ian. Oh, he turns and he goes, what was the song I wrote about sex, girls, and vodka? Oh, right. Sex, sex, sex. Girls, girls, girls. Pass me the vodka. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. That was a good line. Um, so uh, him trying to become a recording artist is episode two. Episode three is Zach Stone is going to get a makeover where he tries to become hot by 
doing his hair up and getting a fake spray tan on and getting fake muscles on. Another and, uh, uh, thing that, you know, Christy is the ultimate MTV girl is that she is literally throwing a pool party in this absolutely. episode. So the and it's all the hot friends from high school. So it's very MTV to me. Yeah. And uh, these, you know, they start to plant the the seeds of uh, Amy's relationship with uh, Nick in this episode, too, because Zach wants to get buff and Nick is very buff. And Zach is he's try he really, I think, for a long time, believes that Christy could be into him a lot longer mm-hmm. than he should. Yeah, he's got a very desperate energy that is everybody knows is desperate and it's really a turnoff. And I think that's the place that this, the comedy of the show plays best is in that he does things to his friends and his loved ones that is generally detestable. Mm -hmm. Like he, the first episode he's like singing uh, and trying to hog the attention at his grand or his great aunt's funeral. Uh, Oh, that is so funny. It's because so he ends cringe. up rapping at he he freestyle raps and then to end his performance he throws up some glitter and it lands in his mouth. <laughs> and uh but it it's both cringe, but also the priest is late, so he's stalling for time. So it's cringe, but he's also doing a nice thing, but he's also very embarrassing. So it really introduces us to this thing of Zach has a good heart, is incredibly embarrassing, incredibly selfish, but in the end learns his lesson and makes up to everybody for it. Yeah. In that way, he kind of reminds me throughout the show of like a Leslie Nope of from like Parks and Rec in that he is just like bullheaded and blind to the realities of situations. A ball of energy that's always got a new project that they want to get everyone excited about. Exactly. That's a good point. But it never really like, yeah, it's never, it never goes the way that he wants it to because he just doesn't know exactly what he wants. And it's that like aimless desperation. I think that, you know, it's just kind of hangs in the air throughout the entire season because you know a perfect example of that is episode four zach stone is going to make a sex tape he really wants to make this sex tape with christy he keeps bragging about how much sex he's had when he clearly hasn't and then when the moment comes christy was not going to make a sex tape with him she just want to like make out in front of the cameras or whatever and zach uh totally freaks out and is not ready for it Mm -hmm. and so christy leaves the show and then the you know, Zach's fixation kind of goes back onto Amy as she starts dating Nick. So we get into Zach Stone is going to be what going to get wild, which oh, bros gone wild, bros so funny gone wild. So so Zach's big idea here is that he is, uh, you know, maybe he doesn't need to be the person that does things. He's going to encourage other people to do things. So he's going to go into this untapped market. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's girls gone wilds, uh, people taking their tops off. He's going to get bros to go wild and he's going <laughs> to get them naked and he's going to throw them t-shirts and because he knows what the college experience is and it's animal house and it's revenge of the nerds. And he is going to, uh, go to these parties 
and get the bros to go wild. And it's funny because he's trying to get famous in the way that the Girls Gone Wild guy got famous, which is the worst way. I mean, it's infamous, really. Yeah. I can't think of a worse way to try to get famous. Pure exploitation. Desperate. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean, and that episode also really starts the arc of really, really hones in on the fact that everyone else is going to college and Zach is not. Mm hmm. Um, that becomes really the main focus at this point going forward because we're we're getting towards the end of the summer now. Yeah, Zach. The this is like nearly mid midway through the season, and I think this was really a turning point for me for the show, and kind of seeing the overall you know arc of the show because he has a chance because. Uh, Generally, he has thrown away all of his opportunities to go to college. He says, I'm going to be famous. But then this episode, he actually gets off of the waiting list at Emerson. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Emerson's in Massachusetts, right? Because Bo Burnham's uh, from Yeah, Boston. it's in Boston. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, it's one of the places I almost applied to. Oh. Well, that's an interesting non-fact. <laughs> it's a good art school. <laughs> and Mark he, Maron went there. He sees the potential of like making friends uh, at a college party that he goes to. And he's like, oh, maybe college is a place for me. But then he goes to a party and he tells the camera crew to wait outside. And then the camera crew tries to find him after two hours. And they just see him standing in the middle of this party as everyone else around him is having a blast. And he is just alone. And I, I just felt my heart sink watching tall, lanky, six foot 13 Bo Burnham standing in the middle of a party where no one else was talking to him. And it was even like, and I was like, just at the dawn of smartphones too, you couldn't go on, you know, Twitter on your phone really that well at that point. He was just there and sad. I mean, it reminds me of, do you remember when I'd come and visit you at college and then we'd be and you'd leave? at bars and I would just leave and so, you'd be like, where's Ian? Or I'd usually go outside and just be on the phone with somebody for like an hour and I'm like drunk and it was just, I just was not comfortable in parties or bars at a certain point. I, I don't know. I just, I didn't want to be there. Yeah. And I get that. But then there's also a safety issue where. Oh Yeah. Because we would be like, where's Ian? He doesn't know anyone in this town. And then we'd go back and you'd just be sleeping on the couch. Yeah, that one time that we all kind of split up and then I found my way into some apartment building and yeah. um, just like was on the roof for a while and then walked back to your place. And I, I don't even know how I got back. I don't either. Anyway. We called. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you did call. That's a lot. right. Yeah. Well, I figured it out. I always figured it out. Were you trying to be famous? No, but Zach Stone in the next episode was going to be a Zatchelor, and he needs a date to, I think, Amy's birthday party. No, some party that Amy's having, a barbecue maybe, Mm -hmm. and uh, he doesn't want to go stag, so he puts out a Craigslist ad, and a bunch of kooky women with their own agendas show up, and he has his own bachelor, and uh, my favorite one was the woman that was just trying to advertise her towel mittens. I was going to say the exact same thing. Nice. Yeah. 
Um, I can't think of anything plot-wise in the season that's significant from this episode, though. No. And then it just kind of, the you know, the rest of the season, or the next two episodes are, mm-hmm. like, really desperate. There's Zack Stone is going to go missing, and Zack Stone is going to be scary, where... The first episode, he tries to, you know, leave and no one really notices that he's gone. You're just like, oh, man. Oh, but Yeah. And uh, he he just really feels like nobody cares about him. But then Zach Stone is going to be scary is when him and Amy finally kiss each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is actually that was Natalie's favorite episode. She really liked that one. That was a good one. And uh, so... Then the final, I think Zach Stone is going to be an actor was my personal favorite. Um, yeah. And again, just you like scrambled. Was that it that got you? Dude, I have been saying I've been scrambled so much since. Okay. So Zach Stone is going to be an actor. He auditions for this uh, like student film. Uh, when he's kind of down about, he doesn't really know where he and Amy stand after they kiss and so he's very aloof in this audition of for a guy that's really sad. And the director actually hires him. And one of the lines at the uh, in the student film is this character just goes, I just feel scrambled. Scrambled. Because he is uh, eating scrambled eggs, literally. And, and then Zach finds like five ways to apply that into his real life throughout the episode where he's just like, I guess I'm scrambled. I've been saying like, I feel scrambled to people in very serious contexts in the past week. And I just find myself saying that. And I'm like, oh man, I am quoting Zach Stone is going to be famous again. The show is devastating. Okay. Well, actually speaking of devastating, the actor episode is when Amy goes off for a weekend or whatever and Zach really builds himself up as he thinks that they're dating. She comes back and shoots him down. And then that's why he's such a sad actor uh, is because he's just a very sad Zach at that point. And then the next episode, Zach Stone is going to be a hero. Were you trying to make a sad sad Zach uh, play? No, but it was just a happy accident. I did log it as it was happening. Uh, but I, I thought I, I'm glad you said something because I thought it was clever, but you know. Well, it's not uh, clever if you don't put any actual thought into it. It is clever because I'm so smart and funny that I don't even have to plan my jokes or know that I'm making them. Okay. That isn't necessarily true, I don't think. I think you could be a smart person, but if you are making. If you are being clever, you are making an active choice to say something smart. No, I'm unconsciously funny, John. I'm You're... funny even if I'm not trying to be, okay? It's just, it's in me. It's out of me. It's all over me. It's running around in my head. It's You've coming out of my your mouth. Ear. Yeah. It's, oh yeah, actually that's ketchup. Hmm. Um, <laughs> then we get to Zach Stone is going to be a hero, where Zach wants to get on the news by trying to save his friend from drowning and his friend, what is his name again? Greg. Greg Greg, uh, is finally the last person to be fed up with Zach and finally pushes back on Zach's antics and using him. And uh, he says something to him about how my life is not ever as important as your life. 
and you know he needs to pack for college and then Zach realizes that he treated his friend poorly and then he ends up packing some of his stuff for him and you know again he pisses someone off learns his lesson does something nice for them makes up for it in the end yeah and then but in this hero episode he goes to a news station to try to uh the local news to try to advertise his own heroic stunt that is terrible but interests the news station into doing a character piece on him character piece what do you call that human interest story that's it um, so then the last episode, Zach Stone is going to be famous, parentheses, no really, end parentheses. Um, he gets the the news do an expose on him and come to see him and his family in their home. And uh, one of my favorite quotes from that episode was Biff goes, how did we let him convince us to have another camera crew in our house? <laughs> Which was really good. And uh, but his brother is so fed up with him that he opts out. And so the clearly not related to him cameraman gets in a shirt that's too small for him and pretends to be his brother, which was really funny. Yeah. The camera crew becomes a really great character and device for the show to sort of cut the tension and heighten the ridiculousness of Mm -hmm. some of the stuff but also kind of shining a light on again how desperate this 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 sad sad boy is and oh sad white boy from the suburbs sad white boys Ooh, sad white boy from the suburbs <laughs> poor you yeah give him a trust fund i will good well first i have to I- i'll give him my many trust funds And so when Zach does finally become a little famous after this human interest story, it's because he actually acted like a human as opposed to a, you know, just a copy of what he thinks famous people should be. And it was really like watching the final moments of the show that I sort of saw its brilliance overall because so when me and you first watched this show when we first did this podcast we watched four like four or five episodes at a time yeah we used to always watch just the first four or five episodes because we were like oh you can get the tone of a show by watching the first few episodes and then you can make Mm -hmm. judgments and i did not care for the show really really I could have sworn that we, we no, liked you, it the first time. Well, around. you no? just imposed your opinions on it uh, because I did not like it really at all. I what? found it to be grating, and I didn't find him to be interesting or redeemable. This is blowing my mind. I I have I feel like I'm man. I have a Mandela effect right now. Well, you don't. That we have it recorded somewhere. It's lost to the annals of time. But it does in exist. In a G drive somewhere. <laughs> and I, yeah, I just did not like it. But I, you watch the entire 12 episodes. Mm-hmm. And I think it reveals itself very slowly. And by the end of it, I was not really like rooting for him. I just wanted him to be okay. 
Like, and <laughs> I just wanted everyone to be okay by the end of it. I was just yeah, like, the, you all have been the, through a lot, you know. What I wrote down was he he really he finally becomes at least locally famous out of his only genuine moment that he has on TV, which is to say that he doesn't care about being famous anymore. He just wants to be with Amy and he loves Amy. And then of course she like meets him at the studio and then they kiss and the gate opens and it turns out a crowd was really compelled by what he said. So he finally becomes famous uh, or at least locally famous for now. And uh, the other thing I wanted to bring up about this was his family really, really, really gets sick of him at one point in this episode. And Biff says, uh, oh, here's what I said. The last episode, a camera crew comes to his house and his parents are pushed to their limits. Biff says, it's time to stop picking what's best for Zach and start doing what's best for all of us. Zach says, you guys, you're being selfish. And ultimately, the show is about selfishness and the fallout from that and trying to regain people's trusts after you've hurt them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really. Yeah, shines this light on the. You know, all the aspects of, you know, a person you can stop me i started a sentence and then i did not know where it was gonna go why don't you just explore the last moment of the show well i will explain i will explore the last moment of the show in a in a second because that is actually part of my my awards one of your dunzos it is one of my dunzos should we get to the dunzos i think we should Ladies and gentlemen and others, we are going to take a quick commercial break and we're going to come back with the Dunzo Awards. And now a word from our sponsors. It's time for the Dunzo Awards. The Dunzo Awards are superlatives that we are giving out to all of the shows that we watch. Uh, It could be the best, it could be the worst, it could be the most, it could be the least. Uh, No matter what it is, we have found some awards to give out to our dear friend Zach and his uh, gang of misfit toys. Mary Band? No. 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 (gasps) I'm so sorry. Go in your hole as I give out my first Dunzo. So, teased it a little before the break, but my first Dunzo goes to the most devastating disappointment of the series. And there were many disappointments. There were a lot of disappointments. Each episode, he disappoints somebody. His mom was disappointed. His dad was disappointed. Greg was disappointed. Uh, His brother was never really disappointed. He was always just kind of hating in general, but I think the most disappointed of anyone was the very last moment of the show Uh, because so Zach is starting to get famous and he's actually signing an autograph outside of the studio and is the last shot of the show on Zach as he is singing his theme song, which we do need to get to. Uh, We need to get to the theme songs in a bit. Oh, we'll talk about the songs. We'll talk about the songs, but 
no, it's not him singing his theme song. It's on Amy. And the smile turned to just a little Uh bit of peevedness, but also just deep, dark sadness about this person that she's now attaching herself to a little bit more. Very graduate vibes. Oh, good. I, I think you're right on that. I, I took it very much as as soon as Zach got a little bit of attention from a crowd, she realized this is going to go straight to his head so quick. He is going to be so full of hot air and it is going to be horrible for her very fast. So that is my first uh, first Dunzo. What, All right, what you got? Then- well, actually, I was going to give this one out second, but I think it kind of goes along with what you've been talking about. And I am going to give out my Dunzo, which is the worst sense of surprise for me. Worst from, sense of surprise? Oh, yeah. Just overall as a show, from episode to episode, the show followed its format pretty rigorously. Zach gets inspired on a new angle to become famous. Zach gets too excited and pushes everyone around until someone won't be pushed anymore. Zach learns what's really important about that relationship and makes up for it with a kind gesture at the end. Now, uh, in writing, there's two things. There's story, which is what it's about, and there's plot, which is what happens. So the plot, there's a lot of fun, zany, kookiness to it. One of my favorite moments being... uh, when Zach gets a makeover and his he's got all the body paint on, he's painted on his muscles. His hair is not spiked, but it's all up like a Super Saiyan or it's something. It's dulled. It's dulled, and he uh, is at the the pool party, and he belly flops into the pool, <laughs> and all of his body paint comes off, and the clear, beautiful pool just becomes this murky sludge looking place it fully looks like he just pooped the pool exactly and Mm. uh obviously all the cool if he had any chance of being cool it was uh it was over right there for him so that is my first dunzo i just thought it had a bad sense of surprise overall I, i was rarely surprised by by it i'll take a i'll take a a more positive uh tone to get us into the next uh, the next bit here. My second Dunzo is for most inventive title sequence. Oh, okay. Because the theme song, Zach Stone is gonna be famous. Zach Stone is gonna be famous. It is annoying. It is an earworm. It brings me a lot of joy. The way it's catchy. the way I don't that think it's an annoying. I, I think it's it, annoying, but in like the best way. Yeah, and the plays on that general theme throughout because he there's no two theme songs that are the same. He uh, is usually going through his house doing something low rent, uh, low budget. You know for. Zach Stone is going to be scary. He, uh, you know, puts in like vampire teeth and, you know. They fall out into his cereal. Uh-huh. And there is, there's all these just like fun, clever disruptions to 
what could be a pretty effective but stale title sequence and it was it was a true highlight for me every time i always skip title sequences always but i didn't this time yeah and they actually varied in length too the uh sex tape episode i think was only 13 seconds and the other ones were somewhere between like 17 to 25 so he really catered each title sequence to the episode and in ways that were funny, inventive, and clever. And that is why my second Dunzo is best theme song. <laughs> so nice. me and you are, are right on the same page about this. Uh, my favorite one was Zach Stone is going to get a makeover. It's Zach Stone is going to get a makeover. Only minor changes, not for self-esteem issues. Zach Stone will blow up and take over right after a classy, sexy makeover. Zach Stone. Zach, Zach Stone. Stone. And uh, that was just, that that was really fun because that one, I think also, it was really funny. The visuals were really funny. And, at, you know, he's wearing a, a mask. Uh, what do you call it? A goop mask. Uh, mm-hmm. What do you call it? Face when you're, mask. You're, it's a face you're, mask. Yeah, a face mask yeah. for your skin. You know, you're detoxing. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of fun stuff. Uh, I think he's clipping his toenails in one of them. Um, and uh, But also the those lyrics in general, I think, speak to the essence of what the show is. Mm-hmm. And also he doesn't bail on the rhyme scheme in a bad way. So I... Uh, that's why I chose this one. I was more about the lyrics and you were more about the sequence, which is funny because I talked to Natalie about this and she was with you, but I was like, no, 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 I'm all words. I think I'm you know how much I love and respect your wife's taste. And yeah, only further solidified by this. So perfect. Great. Um, okay. I want. I do want to talk about the music side of this too, just because. Absolutely. And I want to use this to get into Bo Burnham just as a creator because so Bo Burnham was one of the first YouTubers in general he started uh making videos when he was 16 uh and had his first uh hour-long stand-up special when he was 18 uh he was 20 wow really yeah 18 is that words 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 yeah words 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 and that one's a good one too yeah when, when when did you last watch it uh, honestly, I was in college and I drank a whole cup of Jaeger and I don't, I haven't drank Jaeger since, but the, the did, special was you, funny. What did you drink when you got, uh, when you thought you were making a pint glass of like a dark beer, but you realized it was a, was that whiskey when we went to that bar that one time for uh, Jacob Kuntz's birthday? Oh, yeah, that's because they had whiskey on tap. Oh, it was Jameson on tap. It wasn't Jaeger. Yeah, that was dangerous. Yeah, that was a that was a fun night. Um, but, yeah, so that's the interesting thing about Bo Burnham. I would say do not rewatch Words, Words, Words. Oh, really? It does not hold up. It feels like an 18-year-old who is clever being an 18-year-old. Yeah, and, I I get that. I guess when I watched it, I was probably 18 or 19. Um, and like I said, we were pretty much his age. And when it comes down to like maybe, you know, offensive content or borderline yuck or of its time, 
you know, he had plenty of his early songs, uh, you know, where, where don't hold up now in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know I haven't watched inside, but I know you have, oh and I know he God. has a song that apologizes for some of that stuff. He does. Um, he does. But there is a part of me that I don't hold him to as high a standard because at the time, that's a lot of what pop pop culture and society was. And I would blame a full-fledged adult more for some of the offensive language that they use than a teenager because they're teenagers just absorb and deflect what's going on around them. Yeah. And so Ian knows this, but in the week that we watched uh, this show, I basically did a deep dive into all of Bo Burnham's stuff or as much as I could get my hands on. Uh, So I rewatched his second special, What?, which came out the same year as Zach Stone is going to be famous. Uh, his wow. sec- yeah, so this was the summer of 2013. What came out at the end of 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also rewatched- And who's the- on first? <laughs> Sorry. I also rewatched Make Happy, uh, which came out in two- 2016. Uh, I rewatched Inside for the third time in the past year. My God. Uh, I've been begging you to watch Inside. Inside- is my favorite movie of 2021. Wow. Yes. I have thought about this a lot. It is my favorite movie of the year. And I also rewatched Eighth Grade. Um, so that, there's a lot. That lo- movie is like, to me, it's like accurate the way Pen15 is accurate, only dramatically instead of comedically. Yeah. I Eighth Grade is so, that was so hard for me and Natalie to watch. That was like, it was really good, and it was it was so right on. But you really feel the insecurity of a middle schooler in that, and it really brings you back to a lot of the worst parts of your life. And that's the interesting thing, I think, when you're tying all these bits of his career together and trying to find themes, is it's all about performing because mm-hmm. he has been performing, you know, most of his life. Uh, mm-hmm. And he has been, you know, in a in some sort of celebrity tier since he was a teenager. And yet, it's all still so thoughtful and relatable. Like, I think everything that he looks at, he brings a care and a playfulness and a darkness to so many things but he never criticizes it in mm-hmm. ways and he he finds the humanity i think in a lot of the things that he does like i think in the wrong hands zach stone is going to be famous could have been intolerable like there it is a character who is desperate and whiny and entitled and uh he is going about all these ways to blow up his life and everyone else around him, around him in some way. Mm -hmm. And yet Bo Burnham, I think infuses this and really like everything that he does with a, a care and an understanding about, you know, what motivates people. And generally it's just like, we all just want to be liked in some way. And I think that's really 
evident in all of his stuff. Like he is a guy that is confident in himself, but is still so, I think, just deep down motivated by like, please like the stuff that I do because I care so much about what I'm doing. In a, mm. And that is, I think, a really endearing quality for him as a performer, as a creator. I mean, I, I think he probably has a lot of social anxiety, too. I mean, when I talked to him, he was he was very he was very nice, you know, kind of timid. Um, and he, you know, he made eighth grade because he said he was having all these panic attacks and yeah. he was having panic attacks on stage. And he would talk about the problems he's having like online and it turned out the people he related to the most were like seventh and eighth grade girls emotionally. Yeah. And he wrote about it and he directed it. And uh, he, he, that, that's empathy and understanding right there to, to make a movie about a completely different age group and the other gender and the other side of things and really make you feel something. Yeah. He, he, he did a spectacular job with that. Yeah, it's like the sort of social acceptance, I think, comes so naturally to some people because mm -hmm. they are not trying so hard. But then when you get in this cycle of like, nobody likes me for what I'm doing, so I feel like I need to try hard, but nobody wants to be around you if you're trying too hard. And then that isolates you even further. And that kind of happens to, to Zach in this. It happens to... Uh, I think her name's Kayla in eighth grade. And um, it happens a little bit in inside too. You know, he is constantly thinking about, he's making this thing and reflecting on how people are going to receive it as he's making it too. And yeah, it's really interesting to see what Zach Stone is like, a precursor to and also sort of what it's a culmination of up to that point because he is you know he's dealt with this like early stage of of youtube fame and it seems almost like an indictment of fame uh at some level but it's also you know kind of an empathetic understanding of what it takes to get to that level and like how how you need to present yourself in order to be there. I would say it's a little bit more of like an indictment on the, our generation, especially at the time that, you know, I mean, this is pre influencer, right? Mm -hmm. Pre big pre time the Instagram, term I influencer, I think. Right. I, like right. the, it, the idea of an influencer was there, you mm -hmm. know, since the mid two thousands, but the people who are famous for just being famous, uh, it was the first, actually in the last episode, the news, uh, the reporter says it, it's like, this is the new American dream. It's not about getting a job and buying a house and having a picket fence. It's about becoming a celebrity. Yeah. Fame and is a career. Exactly. And I just think he, he's very aware. He was very aware of that at the time. And I think he was pretty ahead of this, that wave, because this was 2013 and this wasn't even when, you know, I mean, bandwidth wasn't even as good back then. You know, mm -hmm. we couldn't download things as quickly. Like there wasn't 
there just wasn't as much internet at our fingertips. And he, I feel like saw a little bit into the future with this. Yeah. Um, and actually I do want to go back to the music really quick because mm-hmm. you started with that and I feel like you didn't really finish. Yeah. I, um, I used to, because so much of his career is infused with music. Is right. Kind of, and, yeah. and bringing it back to the show, Zach Stone is clearly a talented little musician and he can make poppy little ringtones. That was a nice little compliment. That was also a, a side-handed jab. Like, well, he's a he's a good little musician. He's, but it's okay. You're, yeah, you're right. I see what you're saying. <laughs> uh, he can make little ditties. He can make cute little songs. He can't exactly relate to everybody, but clearly he has a mastery of several instruments and how to edit things and how to you know, create rhythms and beats and put words to them. And I kind of wish that the show, the show would have explored that a little bit more. And it would have shown that he actually is very smart and talented when it comes to music. I mean, truly that's Bo Burnham, but the fact that Zach Stone is doing this throughout, I feel like that was actually something they missed out on exploring further or his parents being like, you're so good at, at making music. Why don't you make more music or something? Yeah. But it instead they focused on the whole, you're not going to college, so why don't you become an assistant manager at the grocery store? Focus on the grocery store. But the thing that I thought was great about the way this show was structured was it dealt with the impatience of it. And it dealt with like the ticking clock of uh, like the thing that was really great about the structure of this season of TV was that he only had really a set amount of money to pay this crew. And that becomes an issue more towards the end of the show as well. You know, he's he's running out of money. He only had a summer's worth of money. He needs to get famous by the end of the summer. And that's also when all everyone's going to leave him. So, Which I think is kind of strange because that totally takes out the part of like, isn't he going to edit this together and then put it out there? Like, but if he's not famous, but, show? but it's about his rise to fame. So he he thinks that he's going to do something in order to get there, and so he doesn't have the time to sit in any one hobby, even if he is good at that. And the show mm. doesn't either because he needs it to be quick. And it, he needs it to be effective. And so that's why he jumps from rock to rock trying to figure out what that thing is going to be. And even if he does have some talent that he could cultivate, he he can't because he's running out of time. I, I see what you mean. I, I just think that that took a little bit of the reality away from me because he clearly is smart and talented. Yeah. And I just... I don't know. I, just, I, I wish somebody would have said it and it almost never came up, which was strange. Um, but whatever, that's, that's, they were that's exhausted the music. By There's him, plenty of music. I think, yeah. That's a, yeah. I think everyone in the character was just like, fed, like not even like fed up, just like tired. Like, but they, everyone went back and forth between being tired of him and supportive of him, of him. It was like, okay, it's your turn to be tired of him and it's my turn to tell you to give him a break. But was there ever a character really that like thought that he was going to be famous? I don't think there was. I think everyone, I think the most supportive character is uh, his friend, Greg. And I think that Greg 
is fine with being supportive because Greg has an out. And so, like you said, when you were talking about him earlier, it's a thing for Greg to do. Uh, it's funny. I would actually say that Christy is probably the most supportive of him becoming famous because why would she go so hard into the show if she didn't legitimately believe that this was going to go somewhere because clearly she did not have any interest in him as a person. I mean, she clearly liked the attention from the cameras Mm -hmm. and there's probably part of her that liked the attention from him, like leading him on or whatever. And, uh, but I I don't think she would have gone as into it if she didn't actually think there was something there or something at least exciting about it. Yeah. But I think that's supportive of the idea of fame and not necessarily supportive of him being famous. You know, like she, she wants that for herself, but she doesn't care about him. I don't think. Yeah. I mean, she keeps trying to make herself be a more important part of the show. Like being like, it's my show. It's our show. She's the, I'm the co-star. She she becomes the lead singer of his band. Like, (laughs) yeah, she is always looking out for herself. And and then I don't know the, uh, his, his boss, Pat, at the grocery store, he's very supportive of him. Played by Rory Scovel, which was right. fun to he, see him. Is he a stand-up? What is he? Yeah, doing? he's a stand-up. He right. was also in the Rose Byrne show Physical, which he was very good in. It's an Apple Who's TV Rose show. Byrne? Oh, okay. Yeah. Who's Rose Byrne? Dude. Yeah, I don't know. Who's Rose Byrne? Bridesmaids. Okay. Yeah. Oh, the Br- the British woman? Yeah. Ah, okay. I got yeah. you. Mm-hmm. He plays um, uh, her husband. She's the one from Bridesmaids who I can never remember her name. Her name's Rose Byrne. What? But she has Ooh. nothing to do with Zach Stone is going to be famous. Okay. Uh, we've been talking about this for a bit. Should we get into why it got canceled? I think we should, ladies and gentlemen and others. We are going to take a quick commercial break. And now, a word from our sponsors. And we're back. John, why don't you tell us why this show was canceled? Low ratings. Wow. Oh, yeah. Finally. A good old fan favorite. Um, Yeah, so the show premiered in the summer of 2013. It's a 13- Summer. Yeah. That's never good. Never good. And it also started at a 1030 time slot on yeah. MTV. Yeah. Which just what doesn't do seem you know? to be conducive for long-term, you know, tune-ins. No. Especially for, you know, an audience. And I believe it was on a Friday, too, which is just a weird time to When air all the kids anything. are out hanging out. Yeah. They're, like its target demographic is out. I don't know, bowling and going to bars or something. I don't know. Yeah. And what do you do before you can go to bars? You, bowl? you go bowling, you go shopping. We uh, went to Steak and Shake a lot. Remember we that? We did. Go to the movies. There's that. Mm-hmm. Spunky so, Dunkers, the donut shop was open 24 7. Oh, gotta love a 95 cent donut. And yeah. yeah, it started at 10 30 and then it got pushed to 11. Oh, uh, my God. Later in the season. Still, it. It was also interesting because, you know, Bob Burnham started when he was 16. 
He was 23 when the show came out. And yet he, and he was still appealing to a generally younger demographic, but also I feel like the people like his age, like his 23 year old age were our age. Yeah. They were kind of grown out of the, some parts of the, the YouTube side of his fame. And so Mm -hmm. it was kind of appealing to a slightly older than high school demographic, but that demographic didn't really care about what was on MTV either. Mm -hmm. And so it was just a weird strategy, I feel like, for MTV to be investing so heavily in these scripted shows at this time. I mean, to put them on in the summer at those time slots. Yeah. And and so it's probably a cheap show to make. I can't see it being that expensive. Maybe Biff's contract was the big, was the most expensive thing. Seriously. I don't know. But um, you'd think MTV has Biff money and uh, (laughs) they might not. Uh, So it started at 1030. It shifted to 11 uh, by the, you know, it it premiered actually to an okay, like 650K uh, viewing audience, which still isn't that good, especially for that time. Um, But it, yeah, I mean, did, did reruns of family guy beat it? Probably. And it uh, got, uh, the audience got halved by the end of its run. Uh, About 300,000 people were tuning in. They ran off the last three episodes over the course of two nights. They did like a two, the last two episodes in one Saturday night. Um, And they, MTV just issued a statement that was just like, due to a a series of factors, there's not going to be a second season. And due to a lack of interest. Yeah. Bo Burnham said, uh, yeah, we, you know, thanks for watching, but it wasn't going to work out. We just didn't have the audience. I don't think it had much of support from MTV either. I think it, I think, Honestly, I feel like the MTV marketing team probably got lazy. They they assume that when you have such a a, a social Someone media with a sensation, built, a built-in audience, yeah, that you don't necessarily need to do as much, but you still do, especially if that audi- that audience is going to watch him on YouTube no matter what. Uh, and so they don't necessarily need to follow him to this narrative mm-hmm. thing. They like what he does on that platform, but what he's doing here is so different than what he's doing, what he cultivated his fan base with. Mm -hmm. And so I think people tuned in to be like, oh, it's Bo Burnham. He's got a show. He's going to, maybe it could be like the Bo Burnham variety hour, but it wasn't. It was a show about a sad kid doing desperate stuff to try to get people to like him. And I think that it could have worked if Netflix or, you know, some sort of streaming apparatus was more uh, kind of established at that point. Mm-hmm. That's my general thought. It's a good, because it is a show with a long arc, it would lend itself more to a, a binge. Streaming. Yeah. yeah. Attitude. So, I, I got to say, this is, I, I can never understand there is so there are so many hoops you have to jump through to make a show at any network at any cable company anywhere there are so many people that are in control there's so many gatekeepers and you have to you know open up all those gates and you have to fight through so much uh so many creatively. dragons 
Uh, yeah, you got to slay orcs. dragons. Yeah, not to mention you got to drink that witch's brew mm. and hope it doesn't, uh, you know, turn you into a frog. But, you know, you get to the, you get through all of that and there's all these hands on deck and yet nobody thought any of this through. I I, I don't understand any of this thought process. Um, it was set up to fail. Yeah. It was a time where of flux, certainly for MTV, where they were trying to have it all. They were trying to have the reality side. They were trying to have the scripted side. They thought they could be the home of a younger generation for all of their entertainment needs. And they just didn't know what they were doing on the scripted side in order to justify that. This probably could have been, in hindsight, a good product for... Like those couple shows that were ordered to a hundred episodes immediately so that they could syndicate them. <laughs> like what was the Yeah, Charlie when FX one? did that. Anger management. Yeah. Anger management. And then uh there were a handful. There was of a Terry Crews one too, I remember. Right. Was, was uh, Tyler Perry had a couple deals for those shows, like for some mm-hmm. of his shows too. Yeah. Granted, they never um I've never seen any of them, but no. they and- were super cheap to make and you know you can just if you put something in the syndication you can just keep trying to make money off of it till the end of time so i don't know if you have somebody who's a good writer that can write a season arc that wouldn't have i mean there's essentially one location the house is like 40 percent of the show and then there's the street and then there's the supermarket, and then there's like one or two other locations. Mm-hmm. It's not; it does not cost a lot to make. So, I don't know. They they should have had a better plan. It's I terrible. think so. I think so too. But you know, what would happen if the show did get renewed? Like, what would we have missed out on if uh, if uh, this show kept going? Well, I got for Dan Lagana. He went on to be the showrunner of American Vandal. Which is one of my favorite Netflix shows. Even the second ever. season? Even the second season. I really like the second wow. season. Wow. I yeah. don't think I finished it, but I, I people were that's another show that such a hyped second season that it almost never had a chance. Oh yeah. Just like True Detective Two, season two. Don't don't spew your we won't True, get Detective into True Detective 2 season defending. two right now, but we will one day. I'm not necessarily a defender. I just think it's like Mr. Robot. Season one was so good that by the time season two came around, too much hype, everyone hated it. The Leftovers, same thing happened. People love season two of The Leftovers and season three. A lot of people abandoned it. Yeah. Well, a lot of the first so season sad. audience abandoned it in the second season. Yeah. That's why it was canceled by the third season. Half of its viewership left. Because it's like you have an idea and then you have to like do at least a 90 degree turn in order to keep the story going. And everyone goes, this isn't what I wanted or expected. So anyway, Dan Lagana, showrunner of American Vandal, producer, writer. He also, did you see, uh, ran three seasons of the Hulu show, of a Hulu show with Tyler Labine of Sons of Tucson fame? Oh. What was that show? Oh man, I didn't write down the actual. No, it's okay. It's okay. But you wait—is that that's the guy from Sons of Tucson, right? Yeah, 
That's Tyler Labine, yeah. And he, when we tweeted at him in our original show, he tweeted back. We were like, we sent out the tweet. We're like, we watched this show. Unfortunately, it wasn't very good. Tag Tyler Labine. He was good. And he tweeted back at us and he was like, I'm sorry you didn't enjoy it, but maybe check out this new show I'm on. Was it Deadbeat? Hulu, you might like it. It was Deadbeat. Okay. Yeah, that's the one. Gotcha. But then he also had some show on Hulu where you led like a ghost partner. I don't know. Yeah. This isn't the Tyler Labine show. Ah, can't it be though? Let's just reformat into the Tyler Labine podcast. You're right. Please. One of us can do a Tyler Labine impression, which is just basically a Jack, bad Jack Black. Also, Dan Lagana is currently producing an untitled Joe Exotic project, which really makes me sick, but uh, I'll probably watch it. But Yeah, of course. All and right. Then, what did Bo Burnham go on to do, John? This, yeah. is, this is what I'm really teeing you up for. I mean, I, I talked about it earlier. He did a special later on in 2013 called What, which I think is a great bridge between the words, 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 Bo Burnham and like the later part of his career too it's a little cringy at times he says the f word a lot in his in in what and make happy which is definitely some of the stuff that i think he's kind of personally reckoning with uh from the f word or the other f word oh the bad f word yeah okay i see yeah the one that's actually offensive as opposed to the one that's just bleeped all the time he jumps from one project to another a lot. He doesn't stick with TV shows very long. He does movies. He does specials. He directs other people's stuff. I think he has a lot of varied interests. And I think if Zach Stone would have kept going, he would have gotten bored. And I think he would have given up on it. I think he really loves to make things. He's a multi-talented, multi-faceted individual. I mean, yeah. as a creative person myself, I can, I I get bored really easily. It's like as soon as I get good at something, I really like hone a craft. I get bored of it and I want to learn something else. And then I work really hard at something I'm bad at. And it's like, why why have I been writing so much for four years? Because I really felt like I had the handle of acting. And it wasn't as interesting to me anymore. Or like even I got to the point where um, performing on stage, like laughter from an audience, just I didn't care about it anymore. It was more about making a moment land than it was to get an audience to laugh. You know, I didn't get that rush anymore. So I, I think that he just has a lot of interests and he wants to do a little bit of everything. And he can. He's talented. He wants to do to. a little bit of everything all of the time. Yes. That's an inside reference. Oh, okay. See, I don't have to watch it to know what's going on. You really should watch it. It's, I will. It's I just, special. I really have to ramp up to anything that's like music or musicals because I grew up doing musicals and I hate love them and it's exhausting to me. Well, this isn't exhausting. And uh, No, I'm sure it won't be. It's the ramp up to it that's exhausting. All right, so big question. Would you renew? I would renew, but because it's good enough and he's talented enough, 
where he definitely deserved a second season. But I was satisfied with the way it concluded. The season one ending felt like a good series finale to me. Um, Zach, to a certain extent, got what he wanted. But also we got our moment from Amy where it's like, here we go again. This is never going to end. And, uh, you know, it was uh, a nice show. It kind of accomplished what it promised to accomplish from the beginning. And I don't really have a problem with it being only one season, but I would be hesitant to renew it if the next couple seasons were just his rise from D-list to A-list celebrity or something. I, I, I wouldn't really be interested in that. So depending on his plan, I may opt out for creative differences. What about you? I would not renew. Oh! Because. Oh! Whoa! John, bringing the house down. This is a shocker, dude. I'm shocked. I'm I'm completely shocked. But I I have, I expect now that you are a little bit along the lines of what I just said. Very much so. Because I found it to be a fantastic four-hour tragedy. Go, I, go on with that. Talk okay. about that more because you promised you wouldn't. You, I would. You haven't. So I think as a comedy, this show was pretty uneven. There was some stuff that I think really hit. There was some stuff that I thought that they tried that I was just like, no, nah, okay. And that, but I think the what really worked about the show was, yeah, that I just felt so sad for this guy. It emotionally and resonated with you. It did. I felt that pain. I felt the I felt the stress of it. I felt the sadness of it. I felt so much of it. And I think that there needs to be just it just it's a book that needs to be closed. And I think that if it went on for a little bit longer, I would have Maybe especially the way that he was going, I would have felt a little bit uh, graded and annoyed. And wow. yeah, I, I, I think that I'm happy with what it was. And I am, you know, I think Bo Burnham is just w- truly one of the most thoughtful and interesting creative people that is on this planet right now. And if he no, had John, been, tell us how you really feel. I think that he is one of the most thoughtful and interesting creative people that's on this okay, planet. Okay, John, tell us how you really feel. Okay, I think he's one of the most thoughtful and interesting creative people on this planet. Really? Yeah, yeah. Right now or of all I mean, time? I just thought of it like two seconds ago, but yeah, that's how I feel. I'm surprised. I'm surprised to hear you feel that way. So I'm grateful for everything he's done since then. And I'm happy to have re-explored this, uh, you know, a few years after I tried and did not care for it. And that's that. You know Um, what? Our dynamic the first time we reviewed shows very much was you were hard on things and hated most things. And I just kind of found joy in stuff and didn't give it too hard of a time. And I feel like we've switched a little bit. What can I say? I'm a softie. 
you are a softie. You're a very emotional viewer. I have been I'm... known to giggle when people poke my belly. <laughs> <laughs> and right. uh, I'm just a I'm a very analytical, critical one. And um, I don't know. It's an interesting f- flip, I think. Yeah. Okay. One and doneers, one and done TVers, whatever we call you. I have breaking Hollywood gossip for you. Ding, 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 ding. When I was a PA on HBO's Gerard Carmichael special eight that Bo Burnham directed. So first of all, his opener was Rami Youssef. And he was very, very good. And then Gerard Carmichael went on to do probably the best hour of stand-up I've ever seen. It was funny. It was poignant. It captured my attention. I don't know if I've ever seen live anything that good. And I I, I don't know if I will again, frankly. It was totally mind-melting, blow my socks off. This, thank God I'm a PA and get paid nothing, but I get to experience stuff like this. This is why I do it. And then, so you do two shows when you tape a comedy special, and then you cut them together. And so they did the first one. It was amazing. Me and our friend Matt Cochran switched places. He guarded the door. We couldn't let anyone in the door because it would make noise. So he guarded the door, and the second time around, I was downstairs with the HBO execs and Bo. Uh, who were sitting in front of the monitors watching. So the first like 20 minutes go by of the second set. It was really, really good. And then all of a sudden, Gerard Carmichael repeats a joke. And we're like, that was weird. And then he repeats the joke again and again. And everyone's getting so nervous down there. All the execs, all the production people, uh, they're like, what do we do? You know, we could speak in his in his ear and get him back on track. And they're like, oh, my God, he's up there sweating. Like, what's happening? And then he starts another joke. And we're like, okay, he's back on track. And then he does that joke again and again. And the audience is so confused. And the HBO execs are freaking out. And basically, he spent the last half of the show doing the same four-ish jokes over and over again. And then he closed out the show. And even I remember at the end of the show, he kind of got around to doing all the material he'd missed. And I even went over to Bo as they were trying to patch the situation up. And I was like, he he didn't do this one joke from the beginning that he did. Like if you're gig- giving him notes, like make sure he hits that one because that was really good. And Bo even was like, we're not saying anything to him. We're not going to feed him jokes. He's going to close it out. He's going to figure it out. Don't worry about it. And we're like, Whoa, like this is crazy. That was the most tense stand-up special I'd ever worked. It became this sort of infamous New York stand-up story about how Gerard Carmichael had a meltdown during his HBO special. And I even remember there were two audience members or several that like stormed out, went down the stairs, drunk, yelling, like about how bad it was and what a waste of time it was. And like we had to like try to muffle the sound. It was very dramatic and very intense. And so then about a year later, I worked another stand-up special with the production manager and we were talking about it. And he goes, oh, yeah, that was on purpose. Bo, 
after the first show, Bo went up to Gerard and he said, frankly, that was a perfect set. But what I'd like is for you to hit these jokes a little bit harder. Get me a couple <laughs> takes of them. Oh, my God. And they couldn't tell anyone because HBO wasn't going to say that was okay to do. Oh they were going to freak out. There was a Actually, the audience, I believe, for that occasion, the tickets were free. Okay. So, That's good. And it was funny because actually they loved to mess with the audience because they it was at the Mason Temple. They made everybody wear like black ties. Like it was a black tie event. And Gerard showed up in like boots and like a jean jacket. And it was like whatever. And uh, that was like their inside joke. And, uh, you know, so a lot of people think that he blew it. But really it was them conspiring to get the best angles and different takes on the same jokes because his first show was flawless. Flawless. The freaking vision of that guy is astounding. So, Ian, where can people find us? You can find us on Twitter at One and Done TV. You can find us on Instagram at One and Done TV. We will send updates and little pictures of what we're going to put out and you can know what fun little shows we're going to do very soon if you follow us there you can also email us at one and done pod at gmail.com first of all i don't care too much to read your emails second of all do not email one and done tv at gmail.com that is not our email someone else owns that email i don't know who you're emailing don't email it and as always, my Venmo is at Hamill Chin. Send me as much money as you want, hopefully more, rather than less. Fun time talking to you about this show, John. It was really great. Yeah. And I think you should watch it on Netflix, uh, which hopefully it's still available by the time you are listening to this. And you know what? While you're there, watch Inside. And, and then when you're bored, you know, go over to HBO Max and watch How To with John Wilson. Because that's just a great show, and everyone okay. should watch it. Okay, he doesn't produce that show. Okay. I know he doesn't. It's just a great show, and everyone should watch it. But you won't watch my fave, which is talking. Bye. Damn it. <laughs> Bye. Brought to you by Lack of Hustle Media.